0: Um, good evening. Um, it's always um, a bit uh, daunting, but definitely joyful to read here uh, among uh, fellow artists and journeymen of, um, of, um, of all stripes. I mean, there's so many people from different parts of the world who come here and um, I won't say descend on Johnson, but I'll say commune here in Johnson, and it's uh, enriching. It's definitely um, very special for me to read tonight, uh, being an admirer of so many people um, here in a room, from students to um, uh, big brothers, big sisters of sorts. And um, for me, uh, when I was a young poet, um, recently graduated from Temple University in Philadelphia uh, as an accounting major. Um, I somehow landed in a job at a, um, art center. Uh, not somehow, actually it was quite deliberate how it happened. Um, the poet, um, It's a wonderful string of events. Maya Angelou was coming to Temple University. I was in Sonia Sanchez's class. Sonia Sanchez had a reception of which Maya Angelou was there. But then this other guy named Lamont Steptoe, who was friends with a poet in my class who said, you need to meet Lamont whose work I had encountered in a journal at Barnes and Noble just the week before, a poem that compared this ghetto in Philadelphia to Vietnam where he served. Sure enough, there was Lamont and Lamont said, you have to come down to the Painted Bride Arts Center. The poet Etheridge Knight just died and we're having a memorial reading for him. And I went that particular Sunday and fell in love with this art institution that was founded the same year. This institution was uh, founded. Um, something was in the water in the late 1960s, 1970s. I don't need to tell you guys that. but um, And that would become my home because it was an art center run by artists. And one of those artists was... Um, Mentor, um, a guy by the name of Gil Ott, and Gil had a press called Singing Horse Press, of which he was really excited to introduce me to a poet. At that time, I was 24 years old, and he handed me this book called S Asteris P Asteris R M Asteris R. -r 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 K. T. by a poet by the name of Harriet Mullen. My life was changed. She would read later, uh, actually a year later, um, at the Painted Bright Arts Center with another poet. And uh, there was maybe four of us in the audience, but it felt like a church to me. So, I just want to acknowledge Harriet Mullen for the work that she's done since then um and giving us um, so many fine books there's a semester there's no semester that i don't go without teaching um her work and it's It was great that um that um Grey Wolf put out her first four books in a book called Recyclopedia uh, because for me um, uh, some of those books you know kind of gathers so much of what I'm interested in in terms of uh, where language and a relationship to language as uh, material but also language that mediates very real social and political realities, Um, and also just um, um, where race meets language, and unapologetically try and push those particular boundaries, which will be part of um, some of my uh, talk tomorrow. So I just want to acknowledge her presence and uh, thank her for her work. I'm going to uh, start off with um, a poem called The Flaneur Tends a Well Like Summer Cocktail. Um, Maddie Barnes is here. She's a former student of mine at NYU and we had just gone over um, the New York School uh Poets and I, so much of their Uh, work in all of its whimsicality I think has done so much to kind of capture a moment of urban life and then during a very important part of the history of this country in terms of um, in terms of poetry but also in terms of experimentation in the arts and had me think about my relationship to um, New York City even though I was born and raised in um, New York that's not true. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, which is 90 minutes south of New York. Um, this is, uh, the flaneur tends a well-like summer cocktail. And I, I remember when everyone was talking about the flaneur, it became this kind of critical benchmark of one's learning if you could drop um, Walter Benjamin and his essays on the flaneur. I was like, okay. The flaneur attends a well-like summer cocktail, curbside on an arp-like table. He's alone, of course, in the arts district, as it were, legs folded, swaying a foot so that his body seems to summon some deep immensity from all that surrounds. Dust shadows, inching near a late 30-ish couple, debating the post-galactic abyss of sex with strangers. Tourists ambling by, only to disappear into the street's gloomy mouth. A young Italian woman bending to retrieve a dropped metro card, its black magnetic strip facing up, a lone speckled brown pigeon breaking from a flock of rock doves, then landing near a crushed fast food wrapper newly tossed by a bike messenger. The man chortling after a sip of flaxen-colored beer, remembering that in the Gospel of John, the body and glory converge linked to incarnation, and so perhaps we manifest each other. A tiny shower of sparks erupting from the knife sharpener's truck who daily leans a blade into stone. A cloudscape reflected in the rare windshield of a halted taxi where inside a trans woman applies auburn lipstick. The warlike insignia on the lapel jacket of a white-gloved doorman who Opening a glass door gets a whiff of a dowager's thick perfume and recalls bailing Timothy Hay as a boy in Albania. The woman, distractedly watching a mother debate Robert Cole Scott's lurid appropriations of modernist art over Niswa salad, suddenly frees her left breast from its cup. Where awaits the blossoming mouth of an infant wildly reaching for a galaxy of milk behind her dark areola. The sharp coughs of a student carrying a yoga mat. The day's last light edging high-rises on the west side so that they seem rimmed by fire. Just when the man says, and yet immense the wages we pay, boarding the great carousel of flesh. Um, We've lost a number of poets um, over the past five years, I would say, Um, very important poets. Um, One of them had a huge influence on me, uh, Derek Walcott. This uh, follows the tradition of elegies that um, Auden writes an elegy to Yeats, and Walcott writes an elegy to Auden. Lowell um, gets elegized by Seamus Heaney and Joseph Brodsky, who are both friends with uh, Walcott. And in an interview, Walcott talks about um, when one elegizes a no- another poet, the kind of work involved in both doing the work of homaging but also um, theorizing inside the poem um, one's relationship to language to form uh, and touching upon the role of, of the poet and poetry itself in society. Um, as we know, Walcott is probably one of the pillars of postcolonial colonial writing. Um, 1960s, until his passing uh, this past March. In memory of Derek Alton Walcott, one, island traffic slows to a halt. As screeching gulls, reluctant to lift heavenward, congregate like mourners in salt-crusted kelp. As the repellent news spreads to colder shores, the sound of St. Lucia is no more. Bandwidths clogged by streaming tributes carry the pitch of his voice, less so his lines, moored as they are to a fisherman's who strains in the Atlantic, then hearing too drops his rod, the real unspooling like memory till his gape mouth matches the same look in his wicker creel, that frozen shock, eyes marbling a different catch. Pomerac trees, sea grapes, and laurels sway, wrecked having lost one who heard their leaves' ancient dialect as law, grasped their boughs as edicts from the first garden that sowed faith. And believe he did, astonished at the bounty of light, like Adam over Castries, Casambas. Port of Spain, the solace of sonorous rains, clouds like hymns, then Edens of grass, ornate winds on high verandas carrying spirits, who survived that foul sea crossing, who floated up in his stanzas, the spectral souls a shield saw alive, the ocean their coffin. Faith, too, in sunsets, horizons whose backlit job is to divide and spawn reflection, which was his pen's work, reason twinned with delight, divining like a church sexton. Looking to earn their wings above, pelicans move into tactical formation, then fly low like jet fighters in honor of him, nature's mouth, their aerial salute and goodbye. Poetry is empty, without discipline, without piety. He cautions somewhere. So may these lesser rhymes amount to more than wrought praise, but amplify his poems as high prayer. Two. Derek, each journey we make, whether Homeric or not, follows the literal wake of some other craft's launch. My elegy's luck to have four set sail from the Owl of Yeats, Whiston, Joseph, Seamus, and yours, as solutions to metric space, meaning to sense the slightest motions in unmoving waters is half the apprentice training before he oars out, careful not to break English's calm surface. What you admired in Eakins, in conversation at some cafe, New Orleans, Philly, was how his roar seemed to listen to ripples on the Schuylkill as much as his breath, both silent though there on a canvas. Gratitude made you intolerant of the rudeness of the avant-garde or any pronouncements of the new, for breathing is legacy and one's rhythm, though the blood's authentic transcription, hymns us to ancestors like a pulse. This, I fathom, is what you meant when exalting the merits of a fellow poet. That man is at the center of language, at the center of the song. Yet a reader belongs to another age and, likely to list our wrongs more than the strict triumphs of our verse, often retreats like a vanished surf spoon-frothing on a barren beach. The lure of an artist's works these days are measured by his acts, Thus our books, scrub clean, make no mention of the shadowless dark that settles over empires except your nib like the eye of the moon, flashed into sight, the source of Adam's barbaric cry. Three. Departed from paradise, each nobody a sacrifice. Debating whose lives matter, we're on a golden platter, our eyes roll confused in hate from Ferguson to Kuwait, you, Maitre, gave in laughter, but also for the hereafter an almost unbearable truth. We are the terrible history of warring births destined for darkest earth." So. As fiber optic lights bounce under oceans, our white pain, codified as they are, and fiber layered in Kevlar, we hear ourselves in you, where time exiles us to stand, lost as a single nation waiting for your revelations. A shirtless boy, browned as bark, gallops along shore, bareback and free on a horse until he fades, a-shimmering, all that remains. I had the um, pleasure of interviewing this year, um, Sonia Sanchez, who was um, a teacher of mine as an undergrad at Temple. And in speaking to her um, just recently, I, I realized um, it's almost, in if you are a writer who realizes that you're part of a A continuum of consciousness um, that is almost an imperative. Even if no one tells you that, you have to kind of carry on in ways that are that ennoble the past and ennoble those particular writers, those artists. And this is um, dedicated. um, This poem was written early on and in dedication uh, to her. I'm deeply worried about a certain generation that's passing before us and young people not realizing um, those lesser but even still more important lights who kind of paved the path for us to be here. Um, this is from um, Poem, ongoing poem called Urban Renewal, and it um, tells a story of one day she had, um, was crossing campus, and we ran into each other, and she asked, what are you doing later? And I said, I'm working in the computer lab, which was my work-study job. And she said, can you get off? And I really didn't want to say yes, because that meant I wouldn't get as paid as much the next check. And then she said, well, I'm going up to Bard College and um, I'm giving a reading and I want you to read some of your poems. And when we get there, there's a gentleman in a, we were running late um, because of traffic through New York. And when we get there, there's a gentleman in a, a wheelchair very stately gentleman, and uh, I'm sure she mentioned his name, but I didn't hear it until later when she got back up, and she said, "I want to thank my brother Chenua Chebe for inviting me here." I was like, "Are you kidding?" Mm-hmm. Chenua, mm-hmm. um, and then later, uh, just to be privileged to listen to them talk about. Um, a journal he had edited, which a lot of people didn't know, called Presence African. Lollygagging beneath the bell tower at Temple, I, sidling up to a girl for the weekend, saw you cross the campus, my spine straightened. Come, young brother to the Catskills, come sing your poems on the Hudson, the smoky outline of Jersey's industrial turnpike lights shone like lost stars dim, shawled in a limousine you hummed and swayed to Ellington, and I thought of the profane shadows of ancestors who rumbled north through foliated darkness in the air they rode to flesh our bones, evil fresh in their cool stare which now entranced the night, seeing me chatter with history's tinted saints, you loaned a language of rivers, of cathedrals, box-elders, and pines, the skin we pressed our bodies into, when hounds trailed close to sin, when hummingbirds entered the heart as if caged by their own sweet will, then I listened to the birth of a forest that grew deep in my ribs, the wet thickets of blackberry tangle, Bracken and motes of gnats, bramble snapped and mossed over like some tattered blanket of a greater god, dispossessed at water's edge by rhythms purified time, by a deeper knowledge, something migratory and angular. I watch by a half moon my lips equipped for war. Again, I swam in the luxury of your eyes, my totemic soul iron wrought at the gate of imperceptible relations pulling the world. When we arrived, earth seeped from his mouth, the fragility of African genius, shrines of the old South." There was something um, really majestic about Mr. Chene- uh, Mr. Chebe, that reminded me of uh, family members in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and Kentucky, where my family was from. This is um, the opening poem. Um, actually, I won't read that one. I'm sorry. This is a poem called "Mighty Pawns. and um, it's it's. Um, Origin is very simply a, um, an assignment that I gave to my students um, of which I had never completed myself, and so I felt like I should do that in order to gain credibility to, um, and to talk about it from inside it, which was to write a long one-sentence poem. But the subject of this poem is um, a group of young men that I grew up with in Philadelphia who were um, extraordinary uh, chess players even though their um, they were um, they were some of the most they were some of the poorest people in our neighborhood and yet they were some of the most famous in the eyes of some because of their ability to uh, play this game, which took them all over the world. Mighty Pawns. If I told you, Earl, the toughest kid on my block in North Philadelphia, bow and ominous, could beat any man or woman in 10 moves playing white, or that he traveled to Yugoslavia to frustrate the bearded masters at the Belgrade Chess Association, you'd think I was given to hyperbole. And if at dinner time I took you into the faint light of his Section 8 home, reeking of onions, liver, and gravy, his six little brothers fighting on a broken love seat for room in front of a cracked flat screen, one whose diaper sags it's a wonder it hasn't fallen to his ankles, the walls behind doors exposing sheetrock, the perfect O of a handle and the slats of stairs missing where baby boy gets stuck trying to ascend to a dominion foreign to you and me with its loud timbales and drums blasting down from the closed room of his cousin, whose mother stands on the other side of of town all times of day and night, except when her relief check arrives at the beginning of the month. You get a better picture of Earl's ferocity after school on the board in Mr. Sherman's class, but not necessarily when he stands near you at a downtown bus stop in a jacket a size too small, hunching his shoulders around his ears as you imagine the checkered squares of his poverty and anger and pray he does not turn his precise gaze too long in your direction. For fear he blames you and proceeds to take your queen. Um, I'm going to risk reading um, some new poems that um, are closer to um, some personal events in my life that happened around five years six years ago or more. Um, Actually, it's been longer than that, 10 years ago. Um, But the first one is pretty, I think, pretty light. Um, You know, as a writer of poetry uh, versus, let's say, like a a friend of mine who um, founded a company and sold it to Gap Um, I think about inheritance in a different kind of way than he thinks about inheritance. So this is a poem called, My Children's Inheritance. A fancy for high green hills by a sea. Baggy spaces in the day. A knack for gunpowder thinking. A library humming like a swarm of gnats. The intrigue of a woman with a pitch-perfect mind, blinking eyes whose silence is ancient and naked, a grave that is not a grave, but a ruin to visit in middle age. A chiffon robe of half-empty cologne bottles in various colors and dried flowers, more dignified in death, both evidence that I once cherished bouquets and timelessness bullet casings, a bowl of seashells, fine pens, one the aurora diamante with its two-toned rhodium plating that glitters when my right hand rages toward heaven, a love of big plates of spaghetti, Argentinian folk music, African rainforests and the speeches of Lincoln that miss the pages of my books more than my doorways a habit for dancing when beats drop like existential stones, a disregard for the enemies of linnets and macaws, fears that match the hawk. Haunted buttes out west, a hard desire for justice, the habit of lip-biting when trouble nears, the way my mouth opens like a flower, my quiver of arrows that outweighs the world, leaving the animals to bear witness, memories of laughter that was bread and water, stylish hats, ways to time travel, the consequences of mistakes, And second thoughts gummed to the future, a collection of radios, stacks of vinyl, the limitations of secrets, long nights that cascaded like waterfalls, that was my madness, granular and complex, sealed like a footfall. How to Avoid a Crash Some mornings, riding to work on a road bike up a busy thoroughfare, my hands tight around handlebars, I think of my face buried in the clavicles of the women I barely knew, eyes clenched, dispensing a slaughterhouse of whispers in low-lit rooms of some newly built hotel, darkened even more by our affair far away from my wife and their husbands, like the one who called years after I forgot his wife's name to say he knew what I had done. Near the off-ramp, a semi-truck's Tires squeal hard up ahead and exhaust fumes nearly blind as I navigate periodic surges and tons of metal accelerating by like oversized munitions. They held tight like me, full of an emptiness we so long to supplant with desire, our muscles rough pedaling towards an imaginary terminus. Now I make eye contact, as experts suggest, with others whose loud music from open windows or makeup appliques have no chance of sending them swerving in my direction, jarring me off a path I work to keep, catapulting me, eyes full of terror, over a medium and down the road's unforgiving blacktop double view of the Adirondacks as reflected over Lake Champlain from Waterfront Park. The mountains are at their theater again, each ridge practicing an oration of scale and crest, and the sails performing glides across the lake complain for being outshadowed despite their gracious bows. Thirteen years in this state. What hasn't occurred? A cyclone in my spirit led to divorce. Four books gave darkness an echo of control, my slurred hand finding steadiness by the prop of a page. And God, my children whom I scarred, pray they forgive. My crimes felt mountainous, yet perspective came with distance. And like those peaks, once keening beneath biting ice, then felt resurrection in a vestige of water unfrozen, cascading and adding to the lake's depth, such have I come to gauge my own screaming the mass tips so far they appear to capsize keeling over where every father is a boat on water the wakes carry the memory of battles and the adirondacks hold their measure i am a tributary of something greater This is another Vermont poem. Um, I came to Vermont and was overwhelmed by uh, the natural, its natural beauty and was um, delighted not too far after that, too long after that, to make, make it my home. Which means that if you're here, you have to um, write in the shadow of a lot of poets. Um, who have also written about Vermont. Um, This is called Enchanters of Addison County. We were more than gestural, close listening, the scent of manure writing its waft on the leaves off Route 22A. By nightfall, our gaze flecked like loon cries, but no one was up for turnips, nor other roots, not least of which the clergy. Romanticism has its detractors, which is why we lined the road with tea-lit luminaries and fresh-cut lemons. We called it Making Magic, then stormed the corners and porches of general stores, kissing whenever cars idled at four-way stop signs or sought grade A maple syrup in tin containers with painted scenes of horse-drawn farmers plowing through snow. The silhouetted, rusted farm equipment gave us the laid-back heaven we so often wished and fireflies bequeathed Earth stars, such blink and blank and bunk-a-bunk-bunk. And And of course, we wondered if we existed. And also, too, the cows in the ancient pastures and the white milk inside our heads, like church spires and ice cream cones. Even after all that cha-cha-cha, we still came out of swimming holes, shivering our hearts out. Night Steps. I'll never forget the wind the corner whispered, nor the windowed darkness that was more a frame for the world's high-rise loneliness. I'll never forget the days we lingered beneath our fingerprints and how we were each other's private sacrament. The brooms and mops hung behind doors like secret agents. The crooks of our knees ached from all the praying. Our astonished hands could not keep up being daydreamers of water towers and such. What monastery would welcome such after-images like those we spoke? Electric wires over a bus stop, a fly mumbling and dodging a swatter, a light brown maid smiling on a bottle of corn syrup. I'll never forget such sprigs of trembling, and honeysuckle, nor other forms of desire, the night steps of an upright base, or blue eyeshadow like slashes beneath my mother's brow. Let me read uh, three more poems. This is On Cocoa Beach. And I'm um, dedicating this to my wife, Didi, who, um, after 40-something years in Florida, um, decided to move to Vermont, giving up sunshine for darkness and, and cold weather. On Cocoa Beach, I am revisiting the idea of Florida, giving my vertebrae a vacation from all the faded bouquets of urine in New York and the darkened policies of snow in Vermont. I am revisiting the idea of my wife's imperial gaze. Her three cheese quiche and fluted mimosas are the masters of my mornings. I am re- revisiting the idea of lawn furniture. By late afternoon on Sundays, my face blossoms like a passion of lilies as I admire the spectral grace of the sandhill crane or am caught lost thinking of Castillo de Marcos or the first people Tamaqua. I'm revisiting the idea of light and laughter and skin half transported by wind. I like to think of myself beside the crape myrtle Pondering the logos of palm leaves and the kindnesses of beaches. You can have your sororities of pain and darkened subways. I will give myself to the great battles of clouds and surfs. Well, it's it's not in here, but um, I'll read it. It's called um, Leave It All Up To Me. And it's a poem that's uh, on the subways uh, right now in New York, which felt like a bucket list item for me. Leave it all up to me. All we want is to succumb to a single kiss that will contain us like a marathon with no finish line. And if so, that we land like newspapers before sunrise, housing on mornings like blue martinis. I am learning the steps to her foreign song. Her mind was torpedo and her body was storm, a kind of wow. All we want is an empire of handholding and a metropolis I'm sorry. All we want is a metropolis of Sundays, an empire of handholding and park benches. She says, "Leave it all up to me." So they have to be short, right? Because commuters are going by, you know. They don't have time to read, like, you know, a three pager. You know, they. I've never seen one more than seven lines, eight lines. This is my uh, last poem. And it's called uh, on disappearing. And I I realized uh, recently how much I um, pay homage to uh, ancestors. And recently, um, I realized that some of my grandmother. raised me. um, Some of her rituals fell in line with something I would come to learn later as secretism. Um, Things that she would do around the house that no one spoke about was owed to this melding of religions that she um, inherited, but also that she practiced with a particular kind of fervor. And I didn't realize until recently how so much of my work was addressing the living, but maybe even more so um, presences um, that I feel have always been there uh, for me. On disappearing, I have not disappeared. The boulevard is full of my steps. The sky is full of my thinking. An archbishop prays for my soul, even though we met only once, and even then he was busy waving at a congregation. The ticking clocks in Vermont sway back and forth as though sweeping up my eyes and my tattoos and my metaphors. And what comes up are the great paragraphs of dust, which also carry motes of my existence. I have not disappeared. My wife quivers inside a kiss. My pulse was given to her many times in many countries. The chunks of bread we dip in olive oil is communion with our ancestors who also have not disappeared. Their delicate songs I wear on my eyelids. Their smiles have given me freedom, which is a crater I keep falling in. When I bite into the two halves of an orange whose cross-section resembles my lungs, a delta of juices bursts down my chin and like magic makes me appear to those who think I've disappeared. It's too bad war makes people disappear like chess pieces and that prisons turn prisoners into movie endings. When I fade into the mountains on a forest trail I still have not disappeared, even though its green facade turns my arms and legs into branches of oak. It is then I belong to a southerly wind, which by now you have mistaken as me nodding back and forth like a Hasid in prayer, or a mother who has just lost her son to gunfire in Detroit. I have not disappeared. In my children, I see my bulging face Pressing further into the mysteries in the library in Tucson, on a plane above Buenos Aires, on a field where nearby burns a controlled fire, I'm held by a professor, a general, and a photographer. One burns a finely wrapped cigar, then sniffs the scented pages of my books, scouring for the bitter smell of control, I hold him in my mind like a chalice. I have not disappeared. I swish the amber hue of lager on my tongue and ponder the drilling rigs in the Gulf of Alaska and all the oil-painted plovers. When we talk about limits, we disappear. In Jasper, Texas, you can disappear on a strip of gravel. I am a life in sacred language. Termites toil over a grave, and my mind is a ravine of yesterday's. At a glance from across the room, I wear a September on my face, which is eternal and does not disappear, even if you close your eyes once and for all, simultaneously like two coffins. I want to thank Jody and Andrea for bringing me here this week. Thank you.